everybody, I'm Amy Barron, and this is Upskilled Solutions in the Learning Universe, where I talk with professionals in education and workforce development about practices and perspectives that catalyze positive change. We are here today with Christy Shelley, who is the Senior Director of Emergent Bilingual Curriculum at Lexia Learning and co-author of Rosetta Stone English. She's been a classroom teacher, an educational consultant, and an entrepreneur, co-founding an education company that was acquired by Rosetta Stone in 2017. Uh, Her current focus is on creating educational programs that make emergent bilinguals feel celebrated and confident in their learning journey. So welcome, Christy. Thanks for having me, Amy. Great to have you here. So I thought we could start off uh, our conversation with some definitions because there probably are people listening who really are not as familiar with this segment of learners uh, called uh, emergent bilinguals. So could you could start us off by just giving us a a description of who these learners are? Of course. Uh, Yeah, so like Prince, we can say formerly known as um, (laughs) the the, um, formerly known as English language learners. So this is how we define our learners. We call them emergent bilinguals. And I think that right off the bat, that gives you a foundation for positive um, outlook and how we want to come come to our students, what kind of programs we're going to build for them. If we look at them instead of a deficit, right? Instead of coming in and not knowing English, we wanna celebrate them. And we know that they're coming in and they already have a language. And so we wanna build on that. So they may be emergent bilinguals, they might even be emergent multilinguals. And so we're here to support them and help them grow in any way that we can. And of course, those of us uh, adults who encounter someone who speaks more than one language, we're usually like, wow, that's amazing. That's That's so so cool. cool. In our education system, you know, these learners end up in intervention. They're sometimes in special ed because they haven't quite grasped a language. It's hard to learn a language, right? Absolutely. So we need to take these learners and elevate them and celebrate them and be like, and say, right on, you're going to, we're going to help you. In in our case, in the United States, we're going to help you learn English. So I actually gathered some statistics before this conversation from the U.S. Department of Education and Pew Research. And just to give the audience a little more context uh, about these learners, about 10% of all U.S. school children come from homes where English is not the first language. And that number is closer to 20% in states like California and Texas. Um, In South Carolina, Kentucky, and Mississippi, they've seen over 400% increase in the past 20 years uh, in these learners. And the majority, around 75% that are enrolled in U.S. schools are actually born in the U.S. and are U.S. citizens. So there, there may be misconceptions out there that many of these children are not U.S. born, but in fact, the majority are. Um, And as most people probably are aware, the majority have a primary language of Spanish. That is the most, that is the biggest language group of these learners. Um, But 
the bottom line of, of these statistics is that this is a segment of learners that's growing and that's very important to be considered at, as we consider education policy, funding, et cetera. And also to think of this group as a diverse group, as with any group, right? We've got strengths and challenges as you would have with any group. Um, and, and one of the things that, that I, coming from a foreign language learning background, have always uh, kept in mind is that there are actually cognitive advantages of being bilingual. Absolutely. development. Right. Such as executive functioning. I mean, studies have been done about this. Chime in here, Christy, if you're. That's why it should be celebrated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, some some of these learners have strong literacy uh, skills in their home language. Others have little or no formal schooling. Some have strong academic preparation and skills and content knowledge. And others have limited practice developing language skills and academic vocabulary. So it is a diverse group and that obviously makes it more challenging, but let's talk about some of the ways that the U.S. education system has approached these learners traditionally or in over the years. Um, I was an educational consultant for over a decade and I was able to literally travel the entire country coast to coast to see the way that schools are, you know, helping serve these learners. And as you just mentioned, it, it is a diverse group. So there are many different programs that have been in place. There's um, from like sheltered to structured environments to help in, in different ways. They have pluses and minuses to them. Um, there's usually a staff member, it might be a a licensed teacher, it might be an assistant, would come in and help in the classroom while the learner might be learning um, in their literacy, which is typical, and we can talk about that, um, the good and bad to that. And then there's also um, a pullout system where a a specialist might come in and take a a group of students or maybe one-on-one and work with them, maybe in in a small classroom to the side. So, and they're all fine. They all work in different ways. But it's my question is what is happening in each one of those environments? So if you have a pullout, great, wonderful. The students are getting pulled out, but what are you doing with them? Um, so that varies across the board. You know, the, the push and the pullout, the the structure, the shelter, th- those are common. They're across everywhere. But it's actually what they're doing that varies. And that I think where the problem is lying because there's no um, there's no like universal, here's what here's what you should do. You have different standards from different states. You have consortiums coming in and telling them where they should and what they should be doing at different grade levels and different proficiency levels. So there's not really a lot of consistency right now. But we do know, that within these structures, there are strengths and weaknesses for sure. And we're seeing that, right? The system is built to get these results. And one of the results is that it's not the newcomers that are are necessarily the, the, the struggle. It's those students that have been in this system for many years. And we call those long-term English learners, the LTELs. And they're the ones that, um, you know, kind of that's my heart. That's what we're trying to serve because we're trying to get them over that hump 
to become language proficient, English language proficient. So it's the, the structures there, it's what's being done to get them there. We need to start questioning for sure. Right. So these, these learners that, that you're referring to are learners that continue to be placed in classrooms where they are uh, not mainstreamed 100% because they still don't have the language ability. And they are, you know, you, you were mentioning uh, the English classroom is the classroom from which they are usually pulled out or separated. Is that correct? Unfortunately, yes. Um, or sometimes um, they will get a double dose of literacy, but we often tie English language development, as we call it, to literacy. It's, it, and there's wonderful things about that. I mean, I, I know um, that often students, especially the younger ones, are getting still getting phonemic awareness and phonics type of instruction, which is so important when you're learning a language, especially if you come from a language that maybe doesn't have similar sounds in English that we do. So those types of um, instructional elements are very important, but it always seems to be tied into, into literacy. So the um, question I like to ask people, if you were going to learn French, would you take a French literacy class or would you take a French language class? And the answer is probably a French language class if I was going to go learn French. So if we take a step back and we look at how you actually acquire a language, right, you need some dedicated time and practice to that. So instead of just teaching in English and assuming that they're going to learn through, through this instruction, let's actually teach them English. Let's teach them grammar, structure, so that they can then translate that into their writings and to and, and apply it to their reading. Because at the end of the day, we, we know that we need to really practice and elevate their academic English. And that's, that's how we think you can do that. So what you're describing is what I have heard of as kind of content-based instruction, right? Where you're learning a, um, you're learning a language through the content that you're studying. So whatever content area you're studying, like you're studying literature or reading and you're learning English at the same time. Whereas if you think about foreign language learning in our school system, you know, Spanish is a class in and of itself. French is a class in and of itself, right? It's yeah. not like you're you're learning Spanish and biology at the same time. Right? <laughs> exactly. I could barely learn biology and biology. <laughs> so I think the idea is the same that, you know, these young learners, um, you know, do need this direct instruction of the language. They can't just be kind of yeah, expected to, you know, and if you're teaching comprehension, wonderful, let's teach comprehension, but if they don't have access to the language, how can they even comprehend that? So I, you know, some states are doing it right. Some states do have that designated EL time, which is amazing. They call it designated ELD. But again, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing during that time? Um, another way that I saw um, in my consulting days was students never spoke. So, you know, maybe they would speak on the playground. And so they were great in those basic communication skills. But when it came to the academic, like inside those four walls, who was doing the speaking? 
And I'm pointing at me because I was that teacher, right? All yeah. I had 99% of my students were emergent bilinguals and I was guilty of it as well. Like I was speaking. And then once you like, you know, step out of the frame and look at the picture from a different view and you see in classrooms, oh my goodness, they're never getting an opportunity to actually talk. Right. And so that's another area that I think could be improved. You know, let's teach English, but let's also get our students to speak English. You have to, in order to learn a language, you have to speak the language. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some features of this approach? So uh, let me tell you, um, we, the product that we have is called Rosetta Stone English. And I mentioned um, that earlier, it's um, in, it's a digital platform. So it's, it's a blended learning model, but it's, it's mostly a, a digital platform. And we really had to dig deep when we developed this because, you know, we talk culturally responsive teaching, culturally responsive pedagogy. We really need to take the teaching and pedagogy off and just look at being culturally responsible, right? As a, in a global sense. So we built these awesome characters to help speak to the learners. So we thought if we built these, these characters almost to be like friends, that our learners would want to learn English so that they could learn more about these characters. So we spent a long time developing these characters, their biographies, they're like 10 pages plus long. We had them also um, evaluated by an outside company to make sure they, they were you know, very diverse and culturally responsive in all the ways that we talked about. So um, these characters come from all different countries, all different backgrounds, all different cultures because we also wanted our students to not only see the mirror of their life on the screen, but also a window into other cultures. And you'll see um, most of our characters speak Spanish. And then, you know, we kind of like went down, but we went through all um, the representation we could within the education system. So we have learners from from France, from Russia, um, from uh, Puerto Rico, I mean, from all over. And we also made sure that they all have accents so that the learners themselves can see and hear someone else teaching them English and speaking in a just, you know, in that way. It's so important, right? It is so important because it shows them that no matter how you speak English, it's perfect. It's okay. I mean, I'm from California. My husband's from Boston. We speak different English. (laughs) That's (laughs) for sure. (laughs) We always joke about that. And then Maya's from California and her husband is from England. He speaks different English. So even if English is your first language, we all have accents. And so we really wanted to emphasize that in our program. And because to to us, that's being culturally responsive, right? right? right. Um, The other part of, of this was that we wanted to make sure that we had a growth mindset built into the program. We wanted the learners to feel like ready and happy and excited to learn English. And so all throughout these characters are not only their mentors helping them learn English, but they're also cheering them on. Good job. You did it. You can do it as they're going through. So we set up an environment where students are, it's in that, that they're not being judged, right? They don't have that pressure of having talked to really practice with another human. They have a friend to talk to on the screen where they can have purposeful repetition, practicing academic English that we hope they can then transfer to other areas and other subjects and be confident there too. Well, that sounds fantastic. 
I'm, I'm really excited to see this program and, uh, I want to meet all the characters and oh, get to know them. And, and <laughs> they're uh, so fun. You start great. to feel like they're your friends. We also, um, it, you know, outside of um, the cultures and language, we also made them diverse with abilities. We have um, some with glasses, one with the prosthetic limbs, one with diabetes. So you'll see a great representation of diversity across um, all aspects. So we tried to be culturally responsive globally. Great. So great. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for coming on and talking about the program. It sounds great. And for telling us a little bit more about this very important population of learners in our, in our schools, in all of our schools. And hopefully we can all get better and shift our mindset and look at these learners, uh, these emergent bilinguals as an asset to our classrooms, which we, I know, certainly feel they are, and we hope others do too. So thanks again, Christy. And thank you all for listening to Upskilled. This episode has been brought to you by Convergent Learning, specializing in education technology product consulting and market strategy. You can follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at AmyBaron1. That's A-M-Y-B-A-R-O-N-1. And we'll see you next time on Upskill.